Well, whether good, bad, or indifferent, probably all of us here today, this morning, have at least given a passing thought of our fathers on this Father's Day. I know that some of us have had great dads, others among us not so good, and still there are some who have had or have dads that were completely absent or worse, either due to life circumstances, mental health challenges, poor choices, or even death. I was very blessed, fortunately, and I know that my dad loved me very deeply. He's been been gone since 1999, and I, I miss him terribly. There's not a week that goes by that I wish I just couldn't pick up the, the phone and, and call him, even his number, when I think that thought, his old phone number comes up in my head. I admired who he was as a person, his integrity, his wisdom, his sense of civic responsibility, his care for those who did not have opportunities, his love for my mom and our family and his friends, and he had solid faith and he rarely, if ever, worried about anything. And I think it's because long, long before I was born, he landed on Omaha Beach surrounded by blood-red ocean water. He was an incredibly gifted leader and businessman who could take the venom out of any contentious situation. And despite his strength and his rock-solid character, he had a deeply sensitive side, although it was rarely visible, and very rarely on the surface, probably due to his war experiences. That said, as a boy, he was very tender with me. He would he'd grab my hand on, on long walks. He would hug me. He, he'd be willing to wear silly Cub Scout hats when I was in that group. And he showed his sensitive side to me in ways I still appreciate. In the 1990s, when I shared with him that my wife, Regina, and I were going to leave my psychology practice and we were moving to attend cemetery, uh, cemetery, it felt like a cemetery. <laughs> I even wrote the word cemetery here. Maybe I should say that because there are days that it feels like it. <laughs> but when, I, uh, when we went to attend seminary, when I told my dad we were going, my dad said something, and we were out in their front yard. My dad said, Robert, I'm so proud of you. This is the right step to take in your life. This is your calling, but I will miss you, and I know God's going to lead you and Regina all over the country, and we won't be in the same town ever again. And he then wept in a way that I'd never seen before. And for a man of his strength and rock-solid faith to weep like that, just that image sticks with me to this day. Well, a few years later after that, a couple months before I was ordained, it was my turn to weep. See, my dad died of cancer six months following his diagnosis at age 79. And my ordination was incredibly potent and poignant. And what's interesting is, at my ordination, I felt such profound grief for my dad and his absence, but such astonishing joy for the ordination. Joy and grief. I found it striking that I could experience such potent, differing emotions all at the same time. Joy, it's something I've talked about on many, many occasions. I keep coming back to the subject because I believe we all need some joy in this life that can be so difficult. 
I also keep coming back to the subject because it's a topic that I'm far from mastering personally. And while we may not be receiving a lot of joyful messages these days from the news, joy is something as people of faith that God wants us to have front and center in our daily lives. Our reading today from Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians, uh, we find Paul writes, Rejoice always. Rejoice always. Said another way, Paul commends the Thessalonians to feel joy always, not, not once in a while, not on rare occasions, not just when things are going well, but always. And I have to say that when things are not easy, the idea of feeling joy always seems to be a bit of a stretch to me. Joy in loss, joy in struggle, joy in hardship, joy in disappointment and heartache. Paul would say yes, but Paul and others in Scripture offer us much that expands the meaning of what it means to experience joy always. And just to highlight something as we get started, rejoicing always is about feeling joy in the midst of things. It's absolutely not about feeling joy for certain things. There is a, an immense difference between feeling joy in versus joy for. For example, I can feel joy along with other feelings when experiencing a loss, but that does not mean that I'm feeling joy for the loss. I felt joy during my ordination so long ago. I felt joy for my dad, but I didn't feel joy for his death. So today, wherever we are in life, and my hunch is that it's a mixture of the good along with immense challenges, let's take a look at joy, what it is, what it isn't, where it comes from, what Scripture has to say about it, and just a few thoughts on how we might foster and nurture joy in our lives. Dictionaries define joy as a deep feeling or condition of contentment means to be glad, to take great delight in something, to feel keen pleasure or elation. And one key common thread across all definitions is that joy is something that is deeply felt, not like the more surface feeling of momentary happiness. Joy and happiness are, are totally different things. It's also important to note that what joy is not about Joy is not about denying reality. It's not about meaning we don't pay attention to what is wrong or amiss or unjust. It's not about living without boundaries or standards. It's not about pleasure-seeking. And joy, as I mentioned, is clearly not the same thing as happiness. But before we continue, a quick, a quick caveat. The topic of joy is never meant to make us feel less than or that there's something wrong with us if we are in a joyless place. Sometimes all of us reside for a while in a space without joy. It's part of what it means to be a human being. All of us go through seemingly joyless passages, and that is okay. Joyless times does not mean there's something wrong with us. It simply means that we, like all people, are not in a place of joy sometimes. 
And if you were in a joyless place today, remember that joy can be restored. And for goodness sakes, please don't beat yourself up if you're in a joyless space. I love what one person writes with some slight adaptations. When God spoke to Job, He told Job that He created everything that exists. That when creation happened, the morning stars sang and all of the children of God shouted for joy. Which is to say, if we throw our minds back into the past, as far as we can imagine, what we find is joy at the beginning. Then go in the other direction, as far into the future as we can imagine into heaven, and what we find is joy. So the story of our existence begins and ends with joy. The takeaway from this is that joy is where you and I have come from. And joy is where we are ultimately headed. Now joy is mentioned hundreds of times in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And it's evident that if you look at just a few of these verses, that God's purpose is not about wanting to pounce on us, trying to make us feel guilty or kill joy. Rather, joy is inherent to God and who God is, and it's faith that leads to joy. Our Christian faith is not about giving up good times. It's about embracing joy and even humor. On the last night of Jesus' life, terrible time, Jesus said to his followers, I have told you everything. I have told you what is about to happen. I have shared all I have shared with you so that you will be filled with joy. Isn't that an amazing thing to say to his followers in the night before he was crucified? I have told you all of this so you will be filled with joy, my joy. Yes, your joy will one day overflow. Jesus wanted his disciples to allow joy, the joy of God, to fill their lives even as they confronted massive challenges and heartaches. King David, in the face of tremendous obstacles, wrote, My heart is glad and I rejoice. He was in touch with God's joy and knew that God wanted joy to be part of his life. In the letter to the Galatian people, we're told that joy is something that comes directly from the Holy Spirit, from God. Now, for a long time, I've I've understood these things about joy. I know that joy is something God seeks for us. I know that joy comes from God. But if truth be told, at least in my life journey, I've had passages in which thinking about joy was about as appealing to me as eating a raccoon that had been run over on the side of Highway 82. (laughs) Sometimes, joy doesn't just seem to fit where we are. The idea of joy can even feel like an affront if we're in the midst of pain. And all this is okay. I have yet to meet a person who authentically is joyful 24-7, 352 days a year or however many days there are in a year. (laughs) I have yet to meet someone who's not experienced the depth of grief or lived with the consequences of betrayal or had to confront some new terrible, scary illness or has endured the torment of a child in trouble. Certainly there are many descriptions of these things in Scripture. So I have to wonder, given that God wants us to have joy, and given that joy comes from God, given that it's impossible as a human being to feel joy all the time, given that lack of 
joy does not mean lack of faith. Given that sometimes things are overwhelming, what are some things we can keep in mind when it comes to nurturing joy? Well, here are a few thoughts. Fundamentally, I believe it's important to keep in mind that feelings are not dichotomous. If we dig deep and are honest with ourselves, generally we don't feel all one way or all another. We can be in multiple places all at once with very diverse coexisting feelings all at the same time. As I mentioned, the night I was ordained, I felt both profound grief and sadness missing my dad along with joy for what was happening. On any given day, we all usually have some things going on that are good with others that are not so good or other things that just plain stink. And when we're in a bad place, it's important to get in touch with ourselves to remember that there are blessings happening in other places of our lives at the exact time. The good, the bad, and the ugly always coexist. And I've shared this before, what Rick Warren wrote. And by the way, good for Rick Warren and sticking up for the right of women to be ordained. Sorry to say that, but I mean, that's just simply ridiculous. But good for Rick. <laughs> Rick writes, along with his wife Kay, in response to losing their son, we tend to think that life comes in hills and valleys. In reality, it's much more like train tracks. Every day of your life, wonderful good things that bring pleasure and contentment happen to you. At the exact same time, painful things happen to you or those you love that disappoint, hurt you, and fill you with sorrow. They're writing this in response to the death of their son. These two tracks, both joy and sorrow, run parallel to each other every single moment of your life. And while you're experiencing something painful, there is the glorious realization that there is still beauty and loveliness to be found. They are inseparable. Keeping the image of train tracks in mind can help us to remember, I believe, to seek and look for joy in the midst of what is hard. That there's joy to be found in all kinds of situations. And here's what Paul wrote in a letter to the people living in Corinth. I have been given a thorn in my flesh from Satan. Think of Paul. I have been given a thorn in my flesh. In other words, Paul throughout at least part of his life had some kind of affliction to deal with. We don't know if his affliction was physical or mental or even both. Yet it's the same Paul who had this affliction who wrote, Rejoice Always. For him, both pain and joy coexisted. His pain did not eliminate joy, and joy did not cause him to pretend his pain was not part of his life. Nowhere in Scripture do we find any hint that God wants us to deny or stuff our pain, but rather to take it to him and share it with selective others. And while we can't force joy, we can allow ourselves to find joy in the midst of whatever is hard. 
And this is also what Rick Warren and Kay writes. Joy is a settled assurance that God is in control of all the details of my life. The quiet confidence that ultimately everything is going to be all right. Do we believe that? Ultimately everything's going to be all right. And the determined choice to praise God in every situation. Notice, in every situation, not for every situation. The point of all this is that the closer we get to God, the ultimate source of joy, and the closer we are with God, the more we've given our hearts to God, the more we're going to learn to trust God that everything will be ultimately all right, the more we will allow joy to enter those times in our lives in which we are struggling. If we want joy, we've got to spend time with the ultimate source of joy. So two things thus far. Remember this train track image that emotions can coexist. Things can be rotten and we can rightfully be upset and distressed and depressed and tearful and acknowledge those feelings. Yet at the same time, we can find blessings and things over which to be joyful. And secondly, God is a source of joy. And the more we move toward the source of joy, the more we will allow ourselves to feel it. One other, two other things. And this is something I've shared many times with you as a congregation as often as that the purpose of life, as Jesus said, is to love God, love others, and learn to love ourselves as God does. As, as, as Jesus said, love is the point of it all. What I'm about to say is something I say as often as I say that because it's, it's so important, but it helps us with joy. We're Easter people living in a Good Friday world. We are Easter people living in a Good Friday world. I try and remind myself this every day, especially on those tough, tough days. We're Easter people living in a Good Friday world. It's central to what it means to follow Jesus. Not everything is as it should be. Never has been. We're all broken and busted up in various ways. We all have our flaws and our mistakes and our mess-ups. Bad, terrible things happen. There's so much darkness and despair and heartache around us. That's the Good Friday part. The part represented by Jesus on the cross. But that story, which is our story, did not end on Fridays. Friday was not the end of the story. Rather, Easter was the beginning of a new story. Death is not the final word. Eternal life is. Want to find joy Remember, we are Easter people. Ultimately, everything is going to be okay. More than okay. As one day we will find ourselves bathed in the light of God's immense, overwhelming love. Remember that. Remember earlier I referred to Rick and Kay Warren's image of life being like train tracks in which the good and the bad coexist. And this is how he wraps this whole image up. He and Kay write, If you look down tracks into the brightness of the horizon, the tracks become one. If you look at the horizon, you can't separate the two separate tracks. That's how it will be for us too. One day, parallel tracks of joy and sorrow will merge into one. The day we meet Jesus in person, and see the brightness of who Jesus is, it will all come together for us. Then it will make complete sense.
one more thing I want to mention that I've also spoken of before, but I've been thinking about it a lot recently because it feels so relevant to bring it up now. There's a book written by Regina Brett titled God Never Blinks. And here's an excerpt in slightly adapted form from her book. Regina writes, I had undergone my first chemotherapy and I could not imagine being bald. Then I saw a guy wearing a baseball cap bearing these words, life is good. Well, damn it, life didn't feel good and it was about to feel worse, so I asked the guy where he got his damn hat. Two days later, the guy whose name is Frank drove across town and stopped by my house and gave me one of those damn hats. Frank's a magical kind of guy. He's a house painter. And he told me he lives by two words that I need to remember to live by in honor of you, Sharla. He lives by two words, get to. They remind him to be grateful for everything. Instead of saying, I have to go to work today, Frank tells himself, I get to go to work today. Instead of saying, I have to get the groceries, he says, I get to go to the grocery store today. Even if it's City Market with all the crowds in Elgebel. <laughs> Instead of saying, I have to do this or that, I get to do this or that. Instead of saying, I got to get, take care of my children, I get to get, take care of my children. It works for everything. And she writes, and life was good, even though my hair fell out, and even though my body grew weak, and even though my eyebrows fell off. Instead of wearing a wig, I wore that damn hat as my answer to cancer, as my billboard of the world. Life is good. Remember, pass it on, you get to. And maybe those two words are part of what lies at the heart of joy in the midst of it all. Part of what makes joy possible. Part of what helps us to focus in the moment, the extraordinary blessings right in front of us. When we view each moment as get to, there's a lot of joy to be had. I get to work with somebody like Charlotte for 13 years. And maybe one way we honor Charlotte in addition to praying for her mightily this Tuesday in her surgery, maybe one way we honor everybody whose life is sucks right now, who's going through hell, maybe one way we honor those people we love, maybe one way we respond to their trauma is to live by get to. and Feel the joy over washing us that we get to. Realizing that good and tough feelings can coexist. The joy can be found in all kinds of circumstances. Focusing on moving closer and closer to the source of joy, which is God. Remembering we're Easter people living in a Good Friday world. And paying attention to the fact that we get to. Maybe that's part of how we foster joy today.
we get to be with each other. Who gets to spend 10 minutes in the Rocky Mountains? Who gets to sit next to people you care about? Who gets to take a breath in this life? Who gets to have clean water and take a breath? Food. Who gets to look at a Colorado blue sky? We get to. Remember that if you've not been in touch with joy for a long time, it doesn't mean it's not there, nor does it mean we can't get joy back into our lives. And so let's spend some moments in silent prayer.